This morning we are continuing in Matthew, I'm taking a break from John, and we'll come back to John after Advent. But this morning we get to the second part of Matthew's gospel at the beginning after the genealogy, and where he talks about the birth of Jesus and does it in a little different way than the rest of the gospel writers. So this is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she found, was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thus far, the word of the Lord. And would you please pray with me for our time in the word together this morning? And Lord, we thank you for this, your word. And we thank you, Lord, for this time together um, to explore this word in ways that um, give life. And Lord, in ways that um, perhaps convict and in ways that challenge. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would make these words um, alive to us. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I have to start by kind of um, setting the record straight. <laughs> Last week, I talked about the genealogy of Jesus um, and connected that um, to my own family, um, to some extent my own genealogy. Um, I do that because my conviction, I have two convictions about preaching. Um, one is that we were wired for story, as I mentioned um, last week, that our brains actually um, connect to that in a way um, that help to tell us who we are. Um, but the other thing that I think about preaching is that if I can somehow show you how I've connected this story um, to my story um, as much as I can, that maybe it'll help you do the same thing. Um, connect to God's story in a way where you put yourself into it um, and become part of it um, in a deeper um, and deeper way. Um, but one thing you need to know about my family is that my dad listens to my sermons every Monday. <laughs> okay. After I preach, yeah, that's one of the first things he does on Monday. Um, and you too can do the same thing if you go to, the, go to the website if you'd like. But the other thing my dad does is if I make a mistake, he usually um, sends me a text and says, a uh, couple things. <laughs> so just a couple things for the record, and this, this is for you, dad. The, the person my grandpa went to go see in Washington State was not George Barr. That actually was indeed his grandfather. But the person he went to see was George Spots. And George Spots was his cousin. 
And the thing that I did get right, though, is that my, my grandfather went there actually twice, once by train, and then the second time when he was about 17, he saved up enough money to buy the Model T and drive all the way out there and then his Model T. But the reason he went was because that family, his cousin and aunt and uncle, felt like family to him, and he so desperately wanted that. And that's why he went through all of the effort to go out there. And in fact, the time that he went in the Model T, um, his aunt eventually had to tell him, Stuart, go home. <laughs> Your mom needs you. Your mom wants you. Um, you need to go home. And so eventually, um, he made his way back home. But so just for the record, to set the record straight. But this morning, I also want to reflect a little bit on this whole thing of names and of families, but also of dreams. And because one of the things that struck me as I look at this passage in Matthew was not only how Matthew treats the birth in such a cursory way, but also focuses on Joseph and reminds us not only that Joseph was named after a namesake, but also that even Joseph's father was named after a namesake in the genealogy of Jacob. And I started thinking about how are Joseph's dreams, the two Josephs, um, related? And because at first they seem very, very different, and the two Joseph's situations seem very, very different, but like a lot of things, and especially when a writer um, goes to the effort to maybe point you to something, um, to try to fill in the blanks about, the more you reflect on it, um, the more you realize is there. So just to remind us, um, the earlier Joseph um, was a youngest son, and he had a dream of sheaves of wheat, right, bowing down um, before him. And then after that dream, he had another related dream of the stars and the sun and the moon also bowing down before him. And Joseph decided that it was a good idea to share this dream, these dreams, okay, with his family. Sometimes it's not a good idea to share dreams, okay, <laughs> depending on what they're about. But Joseph said, to his brothers and to his family, I had this dream and here's what happened. And of course, at first his brothers said to him, what, are we going to bow down before you? Are you going to rule over us? And then even his mom and dad, when they hear the second dream that includes um, the sun and the moon, which they took to mean them, are we even to bow down to you as well? And I would imagine that Joseph didn't just tell them about this dream once, right? We get the sense that he probably reminded them of this dream regularly because his brothers became more and more incensed about the dream and Joseph's attitude and his approach to the extent where they got so angry that they sold him into slavery, right? And so Joseph then goes to Egypt and continually has bad luck in other ways until eventually um, he becomes part of Pharaoh's court. And again, another dream then tells him that there's going to be a famine. And so Joseph comes up with a plan for how to handle this famine and not only um, to save Egypt, 
But it turns out also his brothers and their family and all of the nation of Israel. And if you remember about this dream, the key verse of this whole dream is what? In terms of what Joseph um, says to his brothers after they are with him in Egypt. What you intended for ill, God intended for good. And so in and through these dreams and all that's happened to me, both good and bad, there is now a way, a way for you to be rescued, for you to be saved from this famine. And so God was at work in and through those dreams. So Joseph also has a dream. Joseph is facing this situation where he finds out that Mary is pregnant, and we're told that he was righteous or that he was a follower of the law, that he did that um, devotedly. But he wants to follow the law in a way that somehow does um, the least amount of harm, Um, both to him and to Mary. But I have a sense, and I think that this is where the two Josephs um, kind of connect, um, that Joseph also was trying to protect his reputation, his name, right? His family name. And so send her away um, quietly um, to avoid scandal, but also to make things um, as easy for Mary as possible. The other Joseph, I think at first, was also very into the importance of this dream until God used all of the circumstances that he went to to change that dream and to make it different, to turn it, to redeem it. And so Joseph, in response to this dream, does exactly what the angel says. He takes Mary as his wife, but also gives Jesus his name. And I think that we often overlook that, um, that the angel specifically said more than once what to do, name him Jesus, but not just name him Jesus, you name him Jesus. And we often forget that I think that in Joseph's day and age, that whole act of a father naming a child was a way of saying, yes, I embrace this child as mine. Isaiah 43 says, I have redeemed you and called you by name, and you are mine. And that's not only God's voice. I'm talking about how God will save, but it's also, I think, the angel telling Joseph, do the same thing. Embrace Mary and Jesus as your very own. And Joseph says, yes, I will do that. And immediately carries out what the angel instructs him to do. And often when I talk to people about Joseph and his role, and in the story, we, we, I hear things like, oh, well, he was just kind of along for the ride, <laughs> right? Or he just kind of seemed to fade into the background, But again, we tend to forget how crucial it was that Joseph actually was Jesus' father because that's how 
Jesus becomes part of the Davidic line. And that's how Matthew is able to trace things all the way back. And that's how people, not only then, but for centuries from then, have been given access to understanding who Jesus was more deeply. Because from the line of David will come a king who will reign forever and he will bring peace and wholeness and health. He will make things right again. And so we understand more Jesus deeply because of Joseph's courage and faith and willing to respond um, to this dream. Well, sometimes what I often do when I'm preparing a sermon and I'm kind of stuck is I ask my kids, actually. (laughs) I find that they often help me get unstuck. So a few days ago, I was driving to my parents with Caleb. Um, Angela and Chris are actually in Arizona right now and I'm getting back tonight. But I was talking to Caleb and I said, do you remember any of your dreams? I said, and if you do, what are those dreams about? And often we tend to remember um, the dreams that are the most outlandish, right? Or um, sometimes we remember dreams that are kind of poignant and somehow maybe that dream meant something. And maybe there was something more to that dream. And so Caleb reminded me, um, as he told me about some of his dreams, about how true that is um, for us. And one of the more outlandish dreams that I had, I still remember um, from when I was a teenager. And our brain does this where we kind of, it kind of conflates things in our dreams. But I, um, two things you need to know about this dream I'm about to tell you is one is that my best friend all growing up, um, his dad actually immigrated here from Norway. And he was actually one of Norway's um, Olympic um, jumping coaches, the 30 and 90 meter. And so he was one of the people that actually helped bring ski jumping to Winter Park after they moved here. And so my friend Chris and I would go down into their basement and look at his jumping skis (laughs) when we were little kids, and they really are huge. And we would go, wow, how in the world could anybody put those on and actually do that? And this was also in the era and the time of when our youth group would go um, roller skating, right, okay, to the roller rink all the time. So I had a dream, and it might have even been repeated, but I had a dream that I was jumping off of a 90-meter ski jump on roller skates. <laughs> okay? But the interesting thing about that dream is that I invented this new sport, right, of, of, of roller skate, ski jumping, and became famous, okay, <laughs> for inventing this new sport, which was actually a recurring dream in all kinds of ways, not only when I was asleep, but in my daydreams. Um, And it ties back to the whole story about my grandfather and our family and our genealogy. Um, I had an uncle, my dad's brother, um, who kept reminding me over and over again, you are the last male Kittner on our branch of the whole branch of the family. And if you don't do your job, (laughs) the whole branch is going to die with you. And he would, every time he came to visit us, he would remind me of this. And so kind of like Joseph, I think I got a little bit of an inflated sense of self-importance, okay, of my role and my job and of what that meant. But also I was very into this whole thing of, I want to carry on some kind of legacy, some kind of way that the Kittner name 
kind of gets carried on. I would I wanted to be a professional basketball player for a while and would think about the whole thing of having that on the back of my jersey, Kittner, you know. And, but just like both the Josephs, and what I've learned is that God wants to reorient my dreams. I think that God created us to dream. I meant to dream big and to want to make a difference, to do significant things, to have our lives count and matter. But the thing that he wants to remind all of us, as he did both Josephs, is that that's for a bigger thing, even bigger than ourselves. It's for the common good. It's for making things a little more like they were intended to be. It's about being part of God's rescue plan, being a part of how God wants to save in and through Jesus but also by extension in and through us because Jesus made it possible for us to have the Spirit live and dwell in us. And as he told his disciples, you will do greater things than I. So we were made, I think, to be dreamers and to dream big. But far too often those dreams become self-focused selfish, and we need to have them constantly tweaked and reoriented onto doing what is good for all of creation as much as we possibly can. There are no people who are just along for the ride I'm in God's story. And so even Joseph wasn't just along for the ride. God wants all of us to play our part in bringing about his good creation. And so may we dream and dream big.